Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. I'm Jay Late Night Larson. And I'm Lyndon Chalky Cabellion. In each episode, we will be talking to different surfers and surf shops to learn more about them and their passion for surfing. We will be diving deep into their experiences as well as their involvement and contributions to their local communities. Be sure to check out our website and Instagram feed for updates on future shows. Thank you for your support and we look forward to sharing these great stories with you. There is a saying that you don't stop playing when you grow old, but rather you grow old when you stop playing. Iconic Life is an adventure-driven company that seeks to embrace life to the fullest and to never stop playing. Check out their natural hemp CBD products that help those that believe in that philosophy. Check out Iconic.com. Spelled I-K-A-N-I-K. Again, Iconic.com. Or on their Instagram at Iconic Life. Bonsai balls! They only use real Asahi, not like all those other imitators using sorbet full of sugar. Yuck! They also get their honey from a and bee pollen from a bee farm. Healthy and delicious. No processed honey. What also makes them amazing is that they roast and make their own peanut butter. Damn! They've got seven locations and download the Bonsai Bowl app to skip the line. Skip the line. Order ahead. Bonsai Bowl. Healthy, delicious. Ashland. Hard seltzer. Crafted in San Diego. It's an adult beverage built for all walks of life. Bro, you've had it. I've had it. It's delicious. It is so good. It's refreshing. Only 100 calories. All organic. No sugar. Also gluten-free with 0.0 carbs. Hashtag enjoy cold Ashland hard seltzer. Also supported by Octopus, the massive corporate juggernaut. Octopus, making stuff for people who actually surf. Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Lyndon. Chalky. That's a great intro. This guy's kind of nailing it. We've got a few of these under our belt. You know? 112 to be exact. You hear that? You're this will be 112. This is episode 112 and our guest this week, we bring it back old school HB style, surfer, resident, local business owner, Ecology Tires. Yes. And like most surfers his age, this guy didn't dodge the draft, dude. Like most surfers, in. he didn't go to Canada or Mexico. This guy went freaking straight in to yeah. the army. Voluntarily? Uh, well, my number was 99, and so I mean, they were drafting up to 100, so I knew I was going. And uh, Damn. All right. Well, we're gonna, mm-hmm. Sorry to cut you off, yeah. Mark. Yeah. No, we're going to oh, hear about it. He was a medic. This is going to be awesome. In the <laughs> army during the Vietnam War. He loved yeah. surfing, music, singing, VW vans. This guy's a huge part of our HB Board Riders Club. Yeah. He contributes a lot, um, and he's a huge part, and we're stoked to have Don Pueblo. Pablo. Pablo. <laughs> Pueblo? Pueblo. Pablo. You see, are you trying to say Pueblo and Pablo together? What the hell? Don Ramsey. Don Pablo 
Ramsey. All right. Yeah. yeah. Holy sheep shit. So yeah. before. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Dude, mm-hmm. it's an honor. I'm stoked that uh, Super we, started talk, we started talking about this in front of uh, Bud Lamas' yeah. shop. Last 17th year. 17th Street last yeah. year. And finally, the moon and stars have uh, aligned. And yeah. we're sitting here getting to listen to an incredible story. Yeah. So, listeners, buckle up, because I think this is going to be a hell of a fucking ride. Yeah. yeah. But before we kick into like sure. where it all began, mm-hmm. I want to give a shout-out to his band, the Ramsey Brothers Band, mm-hmm. with yeah. your your brother. You guys play it down here at Sea Legs, yeah, down do at the Promenade, all the events, all the Air surf, show, U.S. Air show. Open. Dude, I mean, this guy is the, the, the Renaissance band over yeah. here. And then he also has, he's a huge uh, VW van, you know, collector enthusiast. enthusiast. And yeah. uh, he has uh, yeah, a What surf- do you guys do that on Monday? Or what do you guys do that? Uh, well, I, I just do specific events that the city wants me to do. Like we do Surf City Days. I do the uh, 4th of July Parade. We do the um, Surf City Marathon. We also do the air show. Yeah. And, um, and it's uh, stuff like that. And then Visit Huntington Beach uses us for different events that they do when they have people come to town. Kelly Miller calling, hey, Don, can you get 25 buses and bring them to Balsa Chica and surprise a bunch of people? That's right. And then pick them up and cruise them in the buses. And then so, yeah. We do what kind of bus like do you have? Oh, I have a 67 20 window micro bus deluxe in, in, in all original condition. I bought it from the original owner. It's been garaged its whole life. And Damn. it's a. Uh, wow. Right. And, and your club. The Cowabunga Van Cowabunga, yeah. Cowabunga Van Clan. Yeah, I love it. It's got a good ring to it right there. Yeah. Cowabunga. Yeah. yeah. With a K. Cowabunga no, with a K. Yeah. Clan, yeah. Um, well, cool. We're going to hear all that. but So yeah. let's start at the beginning, Don. Okay. Where, where uh, and how did you find surfing? Okay. I, uh, so in... I'll tell you how I how I found surfing. I um, when I was ten years old in 1962, we lived in Manhattan Beach, and the people next door were Filipino family. Damn and, Filipinos! They're yeah, just neighborhood. And they all surfed. No way. And that and 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 so our backyard was next to their backyard, and the only thing that separated was a chain link fence. And so I, as a young kid, that seat, you know, they the whole backyard was just a bunch of surfboards laying around because wow. they surfed on uh, Manhattan Beach and Hermosa Beach. And um, I became friends with them, and they... Was it a bunch of different ages, or...? Yeah, I, you know, to be honest with you, you're, we're talking uh, 60 years ago, so <laughs> it's hard for me to remember the family. I just remember that part of it. And uh, I went to Manhattan Heights Elementary School, and uh, that's down, down there where, like, like, Bing Surfboards, Jacobs, and... Uh, Got Dewey Weber. They were all the surf shops right there. And just yeah. as a kid, going riding my bike, or actually even sometimes we'd walk to the beach, um, and then just going by the surf shops and seeing the surfers. I I, I thought it was really cool. Um, but I'll, I'll back up. In 1959, I was at Pacific Ocean Park off the Santa Monica Pier when they used to have that there, and that's the first time I saw surfing when I was let's see, I must have been seven years old. Damn. And I remember thinking, wow, what a you know what a cool thing. But I never really put it together and then a few years later we were living in Manhattan Beach and then that we lived next door to surfers and then I started looking at surfer magazine and realized now that it just come out then but I I had had surfer magazine and I used to cut out pictures of it because there was certain waves and stuff I liked and I made getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners 
Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. My own little scrapbook of it. And then uh, my mom bought me a Gordy when I was 11 years old. She paid uh, $5 for it. It was a used Gordy from one of the waitresses that she worked at this bar called the Sit and Sip in Torrance. And uh, (laughs) the other other, um, waitress sold my mom a surfboard. We didn't have a lot of money, and I kept on telling her, I want to learn how to surf. And she bought me this. And uh, her and my stepdad. At what age? That was when I was 11, and and we were living in Manhattan Beach. And then, so we wouldn't, I didn't try surfing there. We went to Santa Monica to a riverbed there. That's all I remember. And uh, it's because someone said that's a really good spot to learn, and I kind of would get on the board. I I didn't really stand up or anything back then, but we were trying. And then um, I didn't really, you know, I kept the Gordy surfboard because it made me feel, you know, cool, you know, that I had a surfboard. Yeah. And um, and then my dad got, uh, he was an aeronautical engineer for uh, Douglas Aircraft, and he worked at the El Segundo plant. And in 63, Douglas got the uh, commission to build the Saturn V rocket fuel cell that took the Dang. guys to the moon. And in Huntington Beach, they built Douglas Aircraft over Balsa Chica and uh, Balsa, and my dad got shipped to work there, so we moved to uh, Huntington Beach. He bought a house over by Marina High School in 1963. And uh, my older brother, Mike, you know, he got into surfing. There was a guy in Sunset Beach that was kind of just making boards on the side. My brother bought that board, and I remember thinking, dude, I'm going to start learning how to surf. And in 65, you know, we would go down to Warner Street and stuff like that, and I saw the Hawk Brothers for the first time. I saw actual guys that could surf. There were other guys that could surf, but... um, for whatever reason, I saw Tom Hawk out in the water, kind of, kind of calling shots and all that. And um, what what place? Right at Warner? Or yeah, right at Warner Street. Huh. So yeah. the Hawk brothers used to surf at Warner. Oh yeah, the Hawk okay. brothers used to surf at Warner Street. So we're talking, is it Tom, Chris, and Tom, Sam Hawk? Chris, and Sammy? Okay. And but there would be other guys in the water, but Tom was had a big presence there, and I just so was Warner a good spot. Back Warner then? was a great surf spot back huh. then. Yeah, there was a sandbar like, there. Tuck, it tucks, tucks, tucks right in, in right yeah. there, and there would kind of like be a point, kind of right out there. It was a yeah. sandbar point, but it, you could at real low tide you could see how it was. Yeah, yeah. and that was there for a long time. In fact, it's, you know, it it's took, been gone for it's been gone for I, 30, I 40 ever, years. It's been gone a yeah, long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, since the dredging, I think. Huh? Yeah, no. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what. So you you got you you saw surfing at seven. You're enthralled and super yeah. side. Got the mags, but you didn't catch a wave till you're eleven when you got that board. Or no, I I probably didn't catch a wave till I was thirteen or fourteen years old. But um, you had a board at yeah, eleven. Yeah. Yeah. Well, by yeah by then I think uh, we had had a couple other different boards at the house. My brother had them, and his friend surfed. 
And, uh, but I remember going, my, my dad would take us to uh, the pier, you know, and of course we'd get, uh, he would bring acetone, you know, because the sand was, all the shoreline had big pieces of tar on it. Mm -hmm. every, every time Ugh. you went to the beach, you got tar on your feet, and you know, my dad would do that, but he would never buy one of the uh, rafts, you know, those blue rafts with the yellow front and a little rope. Yeah, um, people used to do that at, quite a bit more. Oh yeah, that day, was right? really popular. It's getting and popular so, again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. At so, spots. so, so as a young kid, you know, that was the thing that we would catch waves on. And it's funny, one of the first, in fact, my first time where I actually in the water, a big set came, and I prayed to God, please don't let me drown. I was on one of those rafts on the south side of the pier. Uh, this is probably in '65. I don't, I don't know, a long time ago, and I remember. Lord, please don't let me drown because, you know, <laughs> it was big, you know what I mean? I, yeah. And I got it. I had gotten out there in between sets and lo and behold, this big old set came. And no, no fins back then, right? Yeah, no fins. Yeah, no, no, fin. fin. no church. Was there but, surfers out there too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, no. This was black ball. I would, we, we would go on a summer day. I, I didn't go start doing, actually going out in cold water till uh, in high school when I was 14. We would go to Seal Beach. Uh, you know, uh, Ray Bay and yeah. surf there because the water was warm. Warmer, yeah. No one had a wetsuit then. Yeah. I mean, wetsuits were rare. We're talking and, way uh, back. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is a long time ago. <laughs> no beaver and, tails uh, either. Yeah, there would be beaver tails. Yeah. You would see those. But that, you, you're a baller if you had one of those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, <laughs> that was serious stuff. Exactly. But, um, and then, and then little by little, I started surfing and learning how to stand up. But I didn't really like it, How much it older didn't, is your brother? My brother's Mike is 14 months older than me. He oh, lives up it. at yeah. He lives up at uh, Coho Point up at the ranch. That's what I heard, yeah. 100 acres right yeah. there. <laughs> but um, that's I got some stories from there too. But anyway, um, you know I I really got into it probably my last two years in high school in '68 and '69, and then in 1970, um, right out of high school. Like the next weekend, my buddy and me hitchhiked to Tijuana and caught a Tres Estrellas bus and went down to Mazatlan and went surfing. You know, we took some surfboards with us. How the heck do you just get on a bus and be yeah. like, yeah. so wait, wait, you're just out of high school. Yeah. And you and your it's buddy 18. said, we're going to fucking hitchhike to Mexico and yeah. catch a bus yeah. to Mazatlan. And to, yeah. And what, what did you mm -hmm. have? Yeah, you had surfboards. Yeah. Big ones. Yeah, they were. Big. I think I had an eight foot. Um, and somebody uh, picked harbor. you up. Oh yeah, a guy <laughs> picked us. Up. Actually, the one guy picked us up at uh, Springdale or at uh, Edinger and Beach Boulevard, <laughs> and took us all the way to San Diego. No Our way. First guy, one one guy. Yeah, one guy. We're standing with a surfboard. And I would have picked you up if I'm hearing like yeah. a couple of kids taking yeah. in Mexico and going. For sure, yeah. yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so we go and we and we <laughs> surf down there at the trailer park. Um, Can I stop you for Kansas, a second? Yeah, hitchhiking. <laughs> hitchhiking is when you put your thumb out yeah. to a random nobody <laughs> or somebody. That's right. And anybody you, you get up? a ride in their car. Yeah. People used to do that. People used to hit kids. all the time. All the time. It, uh, Not a problem. I was 13, 14, I'd hitchhike from our house by, uh, in fact, and behind Mar Mario's by Marina, and we, I'd hitchhike right from uh, Edwards and Edinger, and 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 hitchhike all the way to the beach. 
Everybody hitchhiked. That was so, real. So tell us about that. Okay, so you, you, you get all the way to San Diego, and then somebody else picked you up and then took you to the border? Yeah, no. And there we, was, was there yeah, a border? The, yeah. Oh, yeah, there was a border. And uh, what happened was we ended up carrying those boards across the border. Um, he led us out probably a mile or two from the border, and then we walked from there. We got over the border, and there's uh, not far from that, there was a uh, Tres Estrellas bus stop, and we took a Tres Estrellas bus down to Mazatlan. What was the border like? Do you remember? Did you did you have to show ID? Did you just like... I think we showed ID, like we each had a driver's license, but okay. I don't even remember. I can't remember. It's been so long, I don't remember that uh, they ever checked. Yeah. Um, prior to that, I had done some other... Uh, things across the border before that even happened really uh, oh yeah uh, should we go to that or, or, well, or we talk about could. i mean you know so i am a i am a drug addict i'm but i'm a sober drug addict today i'm i'm 15 years sober as of this coming october nice. off of uh you know opiates and uh, cocaine and benzodiazepines you know xanax and stuff like that but uh you know i spent a lot of my time uh life loaded on drugs growing up in huntington beach in the 60s you know surfing was associated with drug use it yeah. just was not that it isn't today but nothing compared to what it was in the 60s and 70s thank god we've pulled away from that image i know from because uh, uh, gordy used to be one of my good buddies and uh, he used to tell me how um surfing was always considered a dark sport by the city council back in the 50s and when he tried to put his shop here, he had a lot of uh, pushback because surfing was 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 considered, Outcast. you know, well it it would bring in drug use, and the city didn't like that. That they were they were not happy with some of the people, the surf like real surf bums, yeah, who you know lived around that did was surf, and they you know they they did drugs. They just yeah. part of the culture. Not that everybody was homeless and did drugs, but a lot of people did drugs and surf. But anyway, the, sorry to interrupt, but surfing. Yeah. It opened up a lot of doors and communication because you're going up and down the coast and you're meeting all these people. You're not, you know, you're not yeah. so closed off like in some of the other yeah. sports and other industry. You know, like yeah. you're you're kind of meeting and greeting a lot of yeah. different people across the board. Yeah, and you know, there was this brotherhood down in Laguna Beach, Laguna Beach Brotherhood. Um, I could talk. There's a whole story. About that. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me just kind of stay focused here. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so we, we, you know, we, we get on the bus to Tresa Straits, we go to Mazatlan, we go to a uh, motel near uh, Mazatlan, and we're surfing cannons, which is a left point right there. Cool little point, right? There's a trailer park right there. And you're goofy, that. right? No, I'm a regular, foot, regular but foot? I love to surf backside. Like who, most people, who doesn't yeah, like to surf who backside? Who told you or how did you know about this spot? You know, um, it was just going around at, at school that, you know, uh, Mazalam was the place to go surfing if you wanted to go because I had already surfed down in Baja and um, you know K38, K55, um, uh, San Miguel, all those spots. Yeah, you know, you're already and, going down there. Yeah, I'd already got, visited all those spots and I don't know for some. I'm, I'm I'm half Mexican. I speak some Spanish, so it was kind of like a no-brainer for me to go down there. And um, so then we get down into Mazlan and we meet this American guy, and I can't remember where he's from, but he was another surfer. And he goes, hey, we gotta go down to San Blas. And uh, my friend and I had never, this guy was with Steve Bennington, who still lives in, here in Huntington Beach. He's a, uh, 
uh, painting contractor, great guy. Um, and and so yeah, we tell the guy, okay, so we get our stuff and we get in on another bus. I can't remember if it was Tress or Stratus or not, but we go to Tepic, uh, which is in Nayarit. And then from Topeak, we take another small bus and we go to San Blas, where Matachin Bay is, you know. And um, and we go to Matachin Bay. How, how long of a bus ride is that? Oh, gosh. It was, I mean, from from Mazatlan to Matich, uh, to San Blas probably took us, um, oh, I don't, it took a while. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe a half a day. You know, it's it a long ride through the jungle and all that. And, um. Uh, so we get to San Blas and it's just this bitchin' little town, like all tropical, like really cool. And, um, and we, and we find a place to, oh, I got a great story about it. So we find this, um, there's this little hotel called the Hotel Cologne, which is on the way out to the bay. And we end up staying there for a few nights and, uh, we meet all these other surfers from Texas and uh, South Bay. So it was and, like a happening spot. Oh, it was a happening spot and the surf was unreal. And we Warm. surfed the surf, oh, the water was 80, you know, and it was just, it was unreal. I but, loved it. And how much money did you travel with? You, guys you know, I don't remember. It wasn't a lot. Like maybe I had 300 bucks on me. Which you know? is, which is yeah, a lot for back then. That was a lot of money in, in 1970. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll tell you a good story about it. So, you know, we're surfing the bay and, you know, the word gets out, two surfers from Huntington Beach, you know. And um, and so these uh, surfers from Manhattan Beach kind of chum up with us and we kind of hang out. And we're drinking with them and eating tacos on the beach and surfing and making fun of each other. And uh, Steve and I go back to our, um, our room and the guy, Pepe, who was well known in the surfing community of the Hotel Cologne, back then because everybody would talk you've been to uh, San Blas you then you I'm sure you met Pepe at the Hotel Cologne anyway so he tells us well we have we don't have any more room for you uh there's reservations that have come up and we had, we need your room so we talk to the surfers from Manhattan Beach and they go yeah we got an extra room at our house you can stay there <laughs> and so um the night before we get ready to leave and I can tell you more but the night before we get ready to leave the guy who offers us the room we wake up that morning and he get he got bit by a spider and the spider bit him on the lip and his lip was like gigantic like swollen you know it's just gnarly and uh and you know we're talking and steve and i are getting ready to leave and we you know we thanked him and it was really cool and you know sorry about what happened to your lip and all this stuff and so we 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 leave with our friend and i can't remember his name was adam or something the guy that we had met in, in modichin bay that took us to san blas so we all get on our bus and and, and and we head back and we stay in Mazatlan, maybe a day or two left, and then we come back up to uh, Tijuana and we do the same thing. We get back across the border, we hitchhike, and I think two or three rides we get and the, a, a guy drops us off at Edinger and Beach Boulevard <laughs> and my brother Mike comes and picks us up what? in his Malibu with surf racks on and all that because I get on the phone and call him. So Holy now God. this is... This is June of 1970, but it's kind of towards the end of June. And I'm back in town and I'm hanging out with my buddy, a good friend of mine, Don Lassard, and it's 4th of July now. And so 4th of July back in 1970 was much different than it is now. Huntington's very popular. It's packed and it's packed more than usual because we don't, like, like in today's world, they have displays. Uh, firework displays everywhere. You can go to any town, uh, Fountain Valley Park has them. 
But back then, it was the pier, the Coliseum, Angel Stadium, the Rose Bowl. Um, it wasn't uh, designated Long Beach. areas. Yeah, th there was th 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 there wasn't thirty places in, right. in in Orange County or LA County to go see it. There was maybe five or six. And Huntington was very popular, so like it was the place to go. You know, it, it just yeah. is. so it was even more packed. Yeah, it was packed, and they had the, and so the parade. And, and yeah, and so like I'm with my buddy Don Lasard, and we had eaten this drug called uh, cannabinol, which is kind of like a high dose of uh, pot. And uh, yeah, in a pill, and I think I either snorted or ate it. But we're walking on the beach, and we're trying to. The, the beach is so packed that you know we couldn't even find a spot to pull our towel because we didn't pull up to the beach till like six o'clock in the evening, right? And everybody's sitting around and getting ready. And I'm telling you, like on the south side from the pier, packed all the way to Huntington Street, and maybe further, and from the pier north all the way to like Ninth Street, and packed. Yeah, uh -huh. and so Don Lasarda and me are walking down the beach, and I'm we're trying to find a spot, and I'm kind of fucked up, and I trip over this dude, and I and I fall over the guy, and I look up like that, and all I can see is the lip, and it's no the same freaking guy. Not telling this far of the Bible, it's wow. the same guy <laughs> that I was that we saw. I and saw his lip is still did, fucked it's, up. It's not as bad, but it's still you know messed up. Holy! And I look smokes. up, and we both start laughing. Oh my God! What are that the odds? Is yeah. That's kind of. Are you I, sure you weren't on drugs? No, no. Well, I was, but no. That, that, that was the same guy. It was, you know. It was you, you, gotta that, look, you gotta look back and reflect and be like, how does that even happen? That like, was that like is, that's a one in a million thing. I. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. <laughs> yeah. But, but you found a fat lip but, instead. But back yeah. then, <laughs> you know, you didn't have, obviously, not even social media. Phones. No phones. No, no phones. No, phones. no, no email, no so, phones. No. no. I couldn't say, hey, dude, give me your number. Oh, and yeah. Stuff in, like in today's that. world, be like, yeah, yeah, let's go meet up down yeah, there. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're, I'm coming down yeah. and I'm going to I'll meet write you a letter when oh, I come. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sending you a postcard. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'll write you a letter. What's your address? Yeah. That is mind-blowing. Yeah, I've but had a couple of those. all those people and you guys just stumbling across. Did you guys party? <laughs> I, I, I can't remember. I just remember that whole thing. Like, yeah. it's always been a, you know, highlight. And there, I have a few of them. There have been highlights in my life that were like, what are the odds that something like that yeah. happened? Yeah. Um, anyway, so moving on. Uh, so I, I surfed that whole summer. And I think we had great waves all summer because I remember that being one of the best summers. I used to hang out. At, and you're uh, what, like 17 or 18? I was 18. Okay. I used to hang out with Mouse over at uh, Surfcraft, which is on the corner of uh, 6th and PCH, where the uh, CVS is now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so backtrack a little bit, Don. Yeah. Um, as you, when you moved to Huntington, right? Yeah. And you started surfing a lot more, right? Surfing sure. took over. Seeing the yeah. out in the water. Oh, yeah. Seeing and, and uh, what high school did you go to? Huh? I went to Marina High School. You went to Marina High School. Yeah, and I graduated in 1970 from Marina. Was there a lot of surfers from Marina? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But the, but the hottest surfers between, between there were the... Well, like, okay, so... And I was sharing this yesterday when I was at the Sunset Beach Women's Club talking. Um, so back then, Seal Beach, Sunset Beach, and Surfside, and Huntington Harbor, all those people went to Marina. Nowadays, I think they go to Huntington. But back when I was in high school, they all went there, and some of the hottest surfers around were from like Seal Beach and Surfside. And, um, and so you, you asked me how, what was the surf culture like. There was a lot of surfers at Huntington Beach. 
But the hot ones, like there was this guy who was well known, his name was Tony Stein, and he was from Seal Beach, and he was a freaking great surfer. And everybody, you know, you knew who the great surfers were because people thought there's a guy, you know, yeah. and you know, you're going to school with these guys, but at the same time, you know, I'm not thinking about being, you know, somebody in Huntington Beach as a surfer. You're just trying to be a kid catching up, you know. Yeah. And because it was, you know, there's always great surfers. And at, when you're growing up, especially in this town, um, there's a lot of pressure to be, you know, cool and all that stuff. Yeah. And Tony Stein was one of those guys. There was other guys. I just can't remember all the, all the, all the names. But like I was sharing yesterday, like going down in, in Sunset Beach and seeing Bob Ole, like it was no big deal. Bob Ole is right there making boards and shaping boards. And like right out in the open, you know, he he had a he had a big lot, but his shop was small, and he did a lot of stuff right out in the sun, right there, right on Coast Highway, you know. And that's right next door to him was Woody's Market, and uh, you know it was just across the street, New England Live Lobster. Um, while I was going to Marina, I got kicked out for selling weed, and uh, <laughs> and and so wait, you were in high school selling weed? Yeah, I was in high school. So, nineteen sixty nine, I got popped. not not to dig too deep, but how <laughs> how old were you when you first got into? I was seventeen. The, oh no, oh, when I started smoking pot, yeah. fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah, it's fact. Here again, I shared yesterday. If you know where the an, uh, antique nautical place is, right on Broadway, across the street from Cap and yeah. Jack, yeah. yeah, that used to be a, a small apartment building with two or three apartments in it. And a good friend of mine lived on that very corner. A guy named Gary Goodwin. And uh, the first time I ever got high on pot was I was fifteen years old inside his apartment, watching him play. Uh, uh, he was playing some Jimi Hendrix. Um, so he was a lot older than me. Purple Haze, he was three years older than me. And he surfed. Oh, yeah, he yeah. surfed. Gary Goodman surfed. All the Goodwins surfed. They were like another family of great surfers that lived in our town. Yeah. What a trip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and what was like, you know, like the family life? Dad dad was working, mom was working. Yeah. And you and your brother, one or two brothers? I, I actually have five brothers. Five? Holy yeah. smokes. Yeah, five Dang. brothers. You but not all of them live there. Um, uh, three live with my mom. And then they got um, divorced. Yeah, three live with my dad, uh, my brother Mike, me, and sometimes my brother Jim, who's in the band with me, or my brother Ed. And then I think Mike moved back to my mom's, uh, like in '68, and I, I, you know, I stay with my dad. And uh, anyway, so um, I don't really know where to go after this. So I'm, I'm thinking about it. So that summer of '70, I um. <coughs> You know, hanging out at the beach, and my hair's all long, and I'm kind of a scene. And uh, they, were you a pretty good surfer by then? Yeah, I was. A, I was. Oh, I thought it was pretty good, actually. Yeah. I, like I, when every time I and went down no competitions to competitions or anything. Like no, that, it right? wasn't like it is today. It was just, there was nothing. Yeah, it, it was. It was mellow. You know. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, <coughs> but going down to like places like Cardiff Reef, you know, uh, Cardiff Reef, San Alejo, and surfing. Um, uh, like we would go to lowers and right after you, at, right as you get up the freeway my brother would let us off and we'd walk over the hill and you could surf lowers right there you wow know? and there would be no one out and, and it was uh, illegal to surf lowers yeah it was illegal yeah and uh, <coughs> here I think in 69 or 70 when uh, Nixon was president I was surfing church and uh, I lost my board no one had leashes and I lost my board 
and it came in, and the Marines were there in a in a, a, jeep. a, a jeep, and they grabbed my board and took my board, and, and I'm thinking, dude, uh, give me my board, and I'll I'll come in, because it's all big rocks, right? So I'm walking on the rocks, and I'm making it look like I'm really kind of struggling. I go, give me my board so I can kind of walk walk in, because they were going to arrest me for trespassing. And I don't know what they were going to do, but they wanted me to come and get over here. You know, they're yelling yeah. at me. So I go, give me the board. And as soon as they give me the board, I turned. I started, ran over the rocks and paddled out. I looked over my shoulder and go, fuck you guys. And uh, they started throwing rocks at me, dude, the Marines. And I'm paddling back out the spot. And all the local guys that are sitting in the spot, don't, don't, you know, they're yeah. calling me the asshole. Don't, yeah. don't piss them off. Yeah. But, you know, it's kind of a funny thing. Um, that's think, so think crazy. About how that's when, that that's when Nixon, yeah, yeah, that's when Nixon lived there. No one was allowed around yeah. there. If you came in towards the, I mean, you had to literally. I, 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 I think we, oh no, we parked at, at a liquor store area, and then you walked down the trestle, walked down the train tracks, and snuck in, and then went out from there. That's yeah. how you did it. But you had to, to do it like really early, early dawn. Yeah. Uh, you, like you couldn't do it during the day, you would get busted. You, yeah. So you had to get up there, get get in San Clemente by like four or five in the morning, and then sneak, and then and then paddle out and yeah. go surf. And, what? The, and was the spots like as they were today? Like, oh yeah. You'd surf uppers or lowers. You'd that, surf you know, uppers and, or lowers. There was cottons. Yeah. Um, church, Sano. Yeah. But it it wasn't crowded like you know now. Oh it was my gosh! Really, I can imagine. Like <laughs> I remember surfing. Um, um, Salt Creek, and the way you went to Salt Creek, you just park, park on, on Coast Highway, and then there was a trail through a, a thick jungle of weeds and trees and shit getting down to the spot. You know, it's kind of a high grade, yeah. and, and that's how you got down to, and then, and then it opened up into this bitching wave and this bitching spot right there. So, and, like, uh, so from coming from Huntington and walking down to like a spot like Creek, it's yeah. all crystal clear and blue. Yeah. You know, uh, you got the sand totally, and the yeah. leaf, you're like, oh, <clears throat> Yeah, so from Huntington Beach to there, it took maybe 30 minutes yeah. on Coast Highway. So, like, checking out the surf was different back then. You would go, to, you know, smoke a little weed and check out the surf. You could check 10 different spots within an hour and come back and then pick which spot was actually the, the best based on swell direction. There was no such thing as surf line or no way to, to tell. You just have to go check it out. You literally check it out and that's how you knew where the surf was good. Yeah. Checked yeah. out all the spots. You know what's funny is I had the same conversation with Aaron Pye a while back about <laughs> it being, you know, different how you had to check surf out. You literally had to go check the surf out. Yeah. There's yeah. no only way to know, you know. It's or just know the conditions from the day before. Like, okay, yeah. you know, the yeah. swell's building and the wind's gonna be like this or the tide. and. But you had to be a. You guys yeah. had to rely on what you saw. That's you right. Look out the window. Yeah, the tide was the only thing that yeah. you could rely on. That, yeah. that was the yeah. only thing that surf, that surf lines up here, but you had to see <laughs> had to, visually. to like put, <laughs> yeah. compute it all together. Imagine like how many, uh, how much different, nineteen seventy coastline oh. is to now, and how many like I, I'm just picturing you guys in your in your freaking big ass car valiant plymouth valiant or whatever yeah. and you're driving and there's hardly any stoplights yeah there's probably mostly stop signs yeah it's and no different freaking houses or buildings yeah, or nothing you know paved river streets. jetties had this 
pier, you know. And uh, River, River Jetty had a pier. Yeah, yeah River Jetty had a, it was like a service pier for the oil, oh, yeah, oil yeah. rigs and stuff like that, whatever. <clears throat> but you know, guys would get up on the pier, and when it was big, like that was the hottest spot around was River Jetties because that pier, the you know sand. the sand, and there was that the left coming off that. The, the north side of that pier was the freaking wave in Orange County. That was insane. It so, was like Hawaii. So going back to, <clears throat> you went to Marina. Yeah. Did you get along with Huntington guys back in the day, or was there localism? Because uh, we talk about localism Yeah, quite it, a bit. it wasn't anything like it was today. I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't remember it being like that. Um, no fights, just little vibes. Yeah, maybe or... there was there was some maybe some fights. I I, I didn't re- I wasn't really into that. You know, most of my friends we were all kind of like loaded. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, bro, it's you, peace you, and love, man. Like, you got this way, I'll go exactly. the next one. Yeah. Peace and love. What? I got you on the beach right away. Yeah. yeah, that's how. Yeah, sister. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, I was talking to Jericho Poppy the other day, and we were reminiscing how different it was about. Um, all the girls that surfed, like no chicks surfed. Yeah. No chicks. There was yeah. maybe, you might see a chick one time in one month back in the wow. 60s and 70s, what? early sure. 70s, that were that were in the water when they were. You, you paddle over to go check her out. Yeah. Right? But um, nothing compared to today or nothing compared to even 30, 40 years ago. Back, I would say, 50 years ago and longer, it just didn't happen. But... Um, and I knew who Jericho was. I, I know her now. We're good friends. But um, she's from Seal too, right? Or yeah, Jericho is actually from uh, um, what is the name of that little town by Belmont Shore? Naples. Naples. Yeah, she mm-hmm. kind of grew up there. But the and, board uh, back then were so freaking heavy. Girls couldn't. You know, probably had to have somebody carry their board down yeah. to the yeah, water. Yeah, you, you know, that's, like yeah. Probably it was really, yeah. Jericho was a, a ripper, though, right? Oh yeah, Jericho always served. She yeah. was like a, she was a premier. I mean, you would think about all the great surfers back then. She was definitely her, Lyndon Benson. I think Lyndon Benson was the main one that I remember, like seeing her surf at the at the USA Surfing Championships. She was always a standout, and then yeah. um, that's the only other name I could think of. Yeah, well, the little small area. lady, um, Linda Benson. Uh, I can't remember the small. Well, she's well known. She so, just had a big birthday. But take anyways. us back to your like high school days, right? Yeah. You you weren't surfing competition. No, no. But you were already smoking weed. Oh yeah. And oh, what yeah. was you? You were like, you know, listening to Hendrix. Oh yeah, I was listening to Jimi Hendrix when I heard. Um, all on the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix in 1967. That, because uh, I was, I've been playing guitar. I uh, started playing when I was like about 11 or 12. Oh wow! Yeah, I started playing when the Beatles came out. You know, everybody. Linda's a musician like the too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Tell um, me what you play. <laughs> Skin flutes. <laughs> yeah, no. there you go. Uh, but uh, it might as well be. Yeah, I heard skin. that song uh, from Electric Ladyland, and. That that, that kind of changed everything, yeah. Was listening to Jimi Hendrix and we, we do that song now, and I hear that we do a pretty good job at it. Yeah, dude, we're gonna have to listen to you after this. Yeah. So so like, no surfing, but you got. I mean, no contest, but you were totally into surfing. Yeah. And okay, so this is what happened towards the end of the summer, I think maybe in that fall of 1970, I wasn't in. High school then, and I, my my plans were to go to go to Golden West College, 
and to just kind of milk it and just still surf and just, you know, kind of be a beach bum for lack of a better description because I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to surf and hang out at the beach and I had a girlfriend and, you know, do all that stuff. So no trade school, you're just like... No, no I, I didn't know no. what I was going to do. Yeah. I, I, I really didn't. Take a couple and then um, a draft notice came to our house. Oh. And I was told to go down to the induction center in downtown L.A. And they gave me um, bus passes to go there. My dad wouldn't drive me. And I remember I went out and got drunk. And we were having dinner at the house. Me, my stepmom, my dad, and maybe one of my younger brothers, Ed. And I was all drunk. And my dad was telling me, well, you're going in the Army. You're not staying here. And if you don't go in the Army, I'm going to call the Huntington Beach police and tell them you've been selling marijuana. Wow. And uh, He wanted to clean me up. Yeah, huh? yeah, he did. Yeah, my dad grew up in, at St. Catherine's Military School in Anaheim. Um, anyway. So, can Yeah, go ahead. Backtrack and sure. you get that draft notice and you, you're, you're watching what's going on over there. Yeah, oh yeah. And the terror of, of that war. Yeah. And you're having to face it. And you're get you're you're. It's gotta be scary. Yeah, I, I was I was scared, and, and that's why a lot of people didn't go. I mean, a lot of so I knew a lot of guys who ditched the draft. A lot of strippers. So the Kui Lima in uh, on the North Shore, Del Webb's Kui Lima. It's called Turtle Bay now or something. Yeah. But back then they were hiring only exclusively surfers from California that were dodging the draft because I had a ton of friends working there that dodged the draft and didn't go in the military, and they ended up. Uh, living and working in Hawaii through, how the, they, through the war. How was that? Just living under the radar? Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, kind of living under the radar. But like I said, my dad had threatened me and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I just said, did you it, actually, I'm just go. Did you think about um, faking, <clears throat> like, you know, An illness or, illness yeah. or homosexuality? Yeah. <laughs> like the well, movie that's what, that's what Big Sammy did, but that's a whole other story. And Sammy <laughs> told me that story. I go, dude, I should have done that. But um, Did he? He pulled yeah. it off? Oh, yeah. He pulled it off. He pulled off a knee injury and homosexuality. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You Whatever it takes. So, I want to stay alive. <laughs> so, so, you kind of bucked up and said... Yeah, I'll, I'll, gonna... I'll go in. So this is what I did. I went to down to the recruiter's so, office. Sorry to yeah. jump in again. Yeah. So go you ahead. got a bus pass? Yeah, they send you... The a, draft notice a bus and a bus pass. pass. Yeah, because you got to go to the induction station. It's downtown L.A., like, like on La Brea or something. I don't, I don't remember the street. Like thousands of people, like a convention. Like yeah, they're, well, they're... they take you down there, and they, and they, I guess it's kind of an interview, but you take some tests, and they want to see where you're at and all this stuff. And I Kinda told like the them, movie, right? yeah, I told them, look, I don't, I, I don't want to go, but I'll go. But I, I, re I, I told them, so they offered me, look, if you sign up for an extra year and go three years instead of two years as a U.S. status, that's what a draftee was, and go three years RA, regular army, we can guarantee you a school. So I figured, well, if I do that, I can guarantee myself not to go in the infantry because I had already had friends who came back from Vietnam who had wounds on them, a few friends that didn't come back, but the majority of the friends that I, that I knew that had already come back from Vietnam, they were fucked up. They were, for a lot of reasons, psychologically or physically or both. And um, What year was that? This, um, is, this is 1970. So how many years was Vietnam already? Vietnam ended in April of 73. It started in, in like, uh, I don't know, the summer of 70. Like no, 63 it started. 
So it that that war lasted for ten years, and fifty-five thousand guys were killed, over uh, almost a half a million injuries. I mean, it, it it was a bad war. We we fought a war that we had no business being in. But that's a whole other story. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I I signed a deal with the recruiter. They put me in this thing called the Delay Entry Program, where I got to go in on February 15th of 1971, and my uh, total time in the Army would be from March or from February 71 to February 74. And so that's what I did. And <clears throat> so they, you know, so I became a medic. I wanted to get in the medical field. I figured, what the hell, I'll, I'll do that. And um, yeah, a lot of people are yeah. injured. We need people and, that like. And I'll, I'll tell you, so. So yeah, so when I go to medic handles wounds and it's gnarly. And yeah. You thought, did you think about that? You're no, I, I didn't. I, I just thought you know I, I'll, I'll get into the medicine because I scored real high on the aptitude test and um, and they gave me all these different options of of uh, schools I could go to and have that job in the military. And so when it came up to medicine, I looked at um, uh, I didn't look at field medic. I looked at being in a hospital medic. But there were, you know, when you go through training, you learn the whole, they, yeah. they put you through so you, field medicine. So you tried to find somewhere, I mean, if, if I were you, I would have tried to find a best field job. Where, the best job <laughs> that kept you out of fighting. Yeah, I, I didn't look way. at it that way. I thought long term, maybe I could be a doctor or something. Maybe I could be a dentist. I, I, I didn't know. So, um, you know, in, in school, I got straight A's. I was always really smart in school. Always. Come on, Don. Yeah, I was. We, so this that, show's about <laughs> telling the truth. It's all about the truth, bro. And um, so anyway, um, so 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 I go to Fort Ord in, up by Monterey and in basic training. I'll t- tell you, on the way there, so I had to, no one would drive me. They, I, I went up to the induction station. They, you know, I went through the whole processing. Then they put me on a bus and they take Coast Highway all the way to um, Monterey. Oh my God. You, or you take Highway 1. So as we're cruising past Malibu, and, you know, my first two hours in the Army, I'm cruising past Malibu and the sun's going down and it's freaking perfect. It's glassy. It's just one of those nice days in mid-February and I'm looking at all these surfers and people in the surf life and I'm going, oh my God, what, what am I done? doing? Yeah, and so you're anyway, going to boot camp. Yeah, so I'm going up to boot camp, and while I'm in boot camp, I meet. Uh, so I'm in the first platoon. There's four platoons, and the second platoon are these guys. The whole platoon is from uh, Hawaii, Guam, or Samoa, wow. and. Um, and and they were all trippy. They were all surfers, and I could relate. They found out I was a surfer from Huntington Beach, and so I made all these friends in Hawaii, you know, talking and you know, all that yeah. stuff, and eating how they ate. Uh, they eat the bones. So I, I <laughs> Lyndon does too. Yeah, there was this guy. Um, he was from Samoa, and his name was Ifala Sorali Lali, and he was a fire dancer from Waikiki, and. Um, can he, you say that one more time? I follow. I follow Sorali Lali. I follow was his last name. His 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 first name was Sorali. Middle name Lali. Last name uh, I follow. But that was his name. I follow Sorali Lali, and he was this big, huge. I mean, he was buffed. He was like about six five, just ripped. And um, and he was a fire dancer, Waikiki, and he had gotten in a fight. And he, he, he beat up some guy, and he literally killed the guy. And instead of them putting him in jail or anything like that, because they knew he was actually from, like his hands, 
he had these calluses on his hands from beating rocks as a kid because in his part of Samoa where he grew up, it was the toughest family. The dad would be the chief of the village. And the only way that they could remain that for the family to be the toughest family. If anybody want to take on and become chief, you had to go through them and beat them up. So I followed, grew up, uh, when Tuffing we called him Lolly, toughening his hands. And he could, dude, he just badass. But Four, um, six, five, and all ripped, yeah, too. You gotta yeah. have size. And, and scary. Oh, yeah. He was, he, he was, he was a badass dude. And I would sit and eat with him. He liked me because I played guitar, right? And, and he liked that I could sing and play guitar and he could sing and play guitar. And we had this really good friendship. And but he got really good weed, though. Oh yeah. Well, so I'm gonna tell you. Something. So, 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 so something. Yeah, my brother used to mail me weed when I was up there. But I, my friends mailed me some orange sunshine, and I was I was loaded on sunshine because uh, Lolly what, had. What is that? It's LSD. <laughs> and, orange uh, sunshine. Yeah, orange sunshine. Come on, dude. I, I'm oblivious to to that lingo. <laughs> that was that was before our time. Oh, young yeah, yeah, All right. Anyway, so. Um, I, I dropped I'm this gonna acid. I'm going to order up some now, so though. What, yeah. what, how, what does that come in? Like, It's a small tab. In fact, I flipped out on a full tab. It's a four-way tab, and you, it looks like a big uh, vitamin C uh, uh, vitamin. Yeah. But, and so you take it and break it in four pieces, and four, pe- and four people would eat it. And, uh, and long, actually, when I was in high school... I took a four-way tab by myself and didn't come down for like a couple of days. But so I'm in the army and I'm loaded on acid and, and Lolly had his own room because he was just this dynamic person and the platoon leaders knew that Lolly needed to have his own room. He just like, you know, he'd walk around in this <laughs> yeah, Hawaiian skirt. He was just bad, you know. And uh, like one time I, we were playing pool in, the, in one of the day rooms and one of the cooks walks by and Lolly grabs a... A pool cue goes, and the cook walks by, and he hits the cook over the head with the pool stick. Out of the blue? The yeah, out of the blue. And the cook goes on like that. Lolly goes over and stands over and goes, next time in the food line, you give me more food. He tells me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was, I need double portion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Don't ask me and, again. So, so he probably already had a dialogue with the guy a few times. That, no, I'm not going to I, don't, I yeah, just remember that. For sure. Anyway. Um, one, one night, so I'm loaded on acid and I'm walking through the, the, the barracks and I walk past Lolly's room and I hear this going on. I open the door and Lolly's standing in the corner with this like robe on and he's dancing like this bitchin' dance and he's making his arm, arms go like that and his hands hit his chest, but in this beautiful rhythm like it was it was unreal and and wasn't so was he, he on was the little... orange sunshine no he <laughs> wasn't no he was he was actually a mormon yeah yeah and um and didn't do anything no he didn't do any of that and i stood back Just and i watched up. him and he looked he, and he didn't know that i was watching him on stand and watching him. this this guy is unreal and yeah. he turns and looks at me and goes ramsey if you tell anybody that you just saw me doing that i'm gonna beat your ass or something like that. <laughs> you didn't tell nobody. And I, 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 I never did, but he was he was a genuine gentleman like you not believe. In about, uh, in 1980, I'm playing basketball over at uh, Edison Park. Yeah. I'm playing with these Samoan guys and I'm just talking to them and one of their friends is from Samoa and he's visiting town. We start talking. I go, yeah, I'm, I had a good friend in the army. I follow Sarali Lai. And they look at me and goes, 
you knew I follow Sorali Lali? I go, yeah, I was in the army with him. They go, oh my God, he's one of the toughest guys in their whole area yeah. of uh, Samoa. In fact, if someone hears me and they're in Samoa, I knew for I follow Sorali Lali. That is incredible. Oh I'm yeah, he's a legend. Name. Yeah, I can remember <laughs> how to say it. <laughs> yeah, but um, I anyway, Sorali yeah, Lali. and wow. and so I leave Fort Ord and um, I come home for a week. How long was boot camp? Six boot weeks? camp, no, boot camp was a little over two months. Two months. Yeah, and then I I graduate. I still sometimes during uh, on Veterans Day I'll post my picture of our platoon and all mm. that and on uh, social media because I'm, I'm proud I'm a veteran. You yeah, know? yeah, and we're um, proud of you. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's off, man. That's anyway. Sacrifice. Anyway, um, so I um, I graduate from boot camp and I come back to Huntington Beach. And I see my buddies, you know, and things are kind of different. They don't want to hang out with me because my hair is short, you know. Like, if you were associated with the military back in the 70s, you weren't real light. It wasn't you were a hometown hero type thing like we have today. Yeah. You were kind of looked down upon, and no one really wanted to be seen with you because you weren't cool, and they didn't want to be seen with someone who was in the Army. I didn't realize all wow. this until I, I came home. Yeah. So I kind of... <clears throat> I've, see movies depict that where where vietnam vets were yeah looked down upon oh yeah because you and, weren't. and all that's real yeah yes so um, what was uh the time frame between you graduating boot camp and then having to go to okay so so i i come back off leave i they fly me to uh san antonio texas and i go to a uh, an army facility or a post called Fort Sam Houston where all the medics are trained. Everybody in, in military medicine are here, including the nurses, the WACs, everybody. And so I end up going to uh, medic training there and I'm, I go to a nine week program and they find out that I'm pretty smart and I'm good with my hands and see me playing guitar and just do different stuff. And they go, hey, we want to see if you wanna do this other job. And uh, the job was working in a dental laboratory, and they, the dental surgeon for the U.S. Army had come up with this idea to help victims of napalm accidents because napalm burns you really bad. It doesn't burn you to death, but even if it blows up from here to uh, uh, Newland, uh, you're going to get uh, burnt from it because it flashes at 1,500 degrees, and everything within a quarter mile where there's oxygen it goes there Ooh. and so um, yeah that was the way the government had that was their way of of getting rid of all the jungle so that we could see the enemy was to burn the jungles well what we didn't realize it was poor communications and we were burning our own military people and anyway so um, I tell them okay so they keep me there and I end up spending a year and training to make this appliance called an obturator and it's this plastic thing that goes in your mouth so that when they're rehabbing burn victims, they can eat solid food. So all the time before this, they were having to drink food out of a straw because the napalm had burnt the roof of their mouth and there was a hole up in their mac maxillary Ooh. palate. So and they, that happened to That happened to a lot of guys. Wow. And so the dental surgeon came, we need to start changing something. So I was trained to make this appliance. And then when I, I left uh, there, when I was there, the company commander said, uh, my first sergeant says, uh, Private Ramsey, the uh, commander wants to see you. I go in there and he says, uh, okay, we got a plan. We're going to send you to a hospital in Pusan, Korea. So I go, fine. I go home 
I, you know, kind of hang out, get loaded, and I didn't really like Huntington Beach because I was bad vibe. You know, it was just a bummer. I ended up staying in my. You got excommunicated. Yeah, kind of. It was kind of a drag. You know, yeah. even my good friends didn't want to hang, and I, you know, here I was anxious to go home. Yeah. And it wasn't. See, you, you, you would have been more of a hero in their eyes if you would have bailed to Hawaii exactly. or, or Canada that or Mexico is, you are or so something. Right. Like, yes. You would have been like, oh yeah, he rebelled. He's cool. He's one of us. Yeah. Instead, you. No, what they think probably came. Yeah. 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 You you kind of unwantingly did your patriotic duty. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I so yeah, because now I'm I'm glad I did it. It's one of the best decisions I ever made was yeah. to go into the military. You got, yeah, because you could have probably went down the wrong path. Yeah, I was headed down the wrong path. Even though it's, it's, so I I mean I smoked pot the whole time I was in the military. <laughs> even more when I went overseas. So so on my birthday, on March 9th, 1972, I turned 20 years old. And that day, I landed in uh, Seoul, Korea. And um, I, I went to a station there, an, a military station, and I went through a transition. I think a week later, they sent me to Pusan, Korea, the very southern tip of, of uh, South Korea. And I worked in a burn ward at a hospital, Ugh. the exact same MASH unit that the, the TV series is made of. That became a permanent hospital in Pusan, Korea, and I worked at that hospital. And we were rehabbing guys who were in napalm accidents and helicopter crashes, all burn victims. And my job was just to help. I made this obturator for them, and um, a lot of those guys became really good friends of mine. Some of them burnt me on recognition. All, all of them carried this this necklace with a picture on it of what they looked like before they were burnt beyond recognition oh. because they wanted to let people know that this, this is who I am. I'm not this, I'm this picture. This yeah. is me. And, um, house and, real. yeah. Oh. And so I did that for 14 months and then I left there and, um, I, I came back to the United States and usually if you have time left, they would let you out. But because of my job, they kept me in, they wouldn't let me out. I was really pissed. Um, because you served yeah. your job. Yeah, I did my job. I wanted out. You know, I, know, I, I didn't want to good proud. at it, so they wanted to keep yeah. you even longer. So uh, they, I worked in a hospital in Fort Huachuca, Arizona, which is uh, down in the southeast corner of Arizona. So I, how, how long were you in South yeah, Korea for? I was there 14 months. And when, when I got out, I had about, uh, I don't know, let's see, I, I got out in February 74, and I was probably there in Fort Huachuca for uh, six, seven months. But... So in, in Tempe, Arizona was Big Surf, which is the first wave pool ever. It's like a giant toilet flushes and this creates this wave. And uh, I had heard about it. And I go, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go up there. So I had a couple of friends of mine that wanted to learn how to surf. And we would go up to Big Surf. And I surfed Big Surf like probably 10 times or more. At night, on Saturday nights, they would have, I guess I saw uh, Santana there and the Almond Brothers. You're and, kidding me. Oh, yeah. So they, they yeah. turned it into a full hang. Oh, yeah. It still is from what I hear. Yeah. It's still they, it's still a, a surf uh, spot. And, and and so I caught it a couple times offshore. And really, I mean, I, <laughs> I had a blast surfing there when I was is in the military. Is it a decent wave? Yeah, it's, it's about a... It was a wave. Defending, yeah. <laughs> you know... It's kind of just a wall of white water, and then it turns into a wave. Yeah. And then if you can surf, you can, you know, yeah. uh, just you uh, surf it. But, you know, it wasn't a lot of surfers. Where, but did, uh, I always caught good waves and had a fun time. Did you yeah. surf <laughs> at all while you were in the Army? Like in, A few down? times when I came home, I never really traveled anywhere or anything yeah. like that. Um, right. Just 
not so to didn't have not the opportunity. To, so that's a couple of years of Hawaii. not surfing. Were you, were you able yeah. to get like surf mags and like? Yeah, I did that. Surf. I'll tell you a good story. Right. So I'm at uh, Fort Sam Houston, and a buddy of mine who lives in uh, Nuevo Laredo, which is on the border of Texas and Mexico. He's he's from there. He's going through the same training I'm going through, not the advanced, but the regular medic training. And he and so I say, hey, why don't we buy some weed and bring it up here? So he goes, yeah, that's a great idea. So we, 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 I give him 150 bucks. He's got 150. We he goes buys 300 dollars worth of pot down there. And on a Sunday afternoon, he comes back to the military post. and goes, well, here's your half. And he bought seven pounds of weeds and gives me three and a half pounds of pot. I'm oh going, my Dude. god! I go, what am I going to do with this? I thought we we would have it off the post somewhere. We would deal it. There goes, no, here's your half. I got to go. So I take my half and I put it in my laundry bag inside my locker, and I tell my friends, hey, I got some weed. And that's on a Sunday night. That next morning at 4 o'clock in the morning, the company commander with the first sergeant comes into our barracks, opens up the door, turns the lights on, and goes, GI inspection, everybody up right now. And they're going to go through all our locker to find Did they get tipped band. off? Or they just no, I don't, I don't. I, that's, a, that's a good question. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. So um, they're looking for stuff that you might be stealing from the school, medical yeah. things, because that, 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 that there's a lot of theft sure. going on. Or... You're any anything. Yeah. So I'm in this cubicle with nothing but lockers around me and two bunk beds. It's me and three other guys. And they know I have the weed locked in my locker. I think half the half the barrack knows that. It's like I don't know how many guys are in the barrack, probably close to thirty. So I hear the company commander in the next cubicle slamming the doors and guys going through stuff and showing them. And he comes into our a cubicle, and I'm standing there at attention, you know, just in my underwear. I'm standing there like this. He goes, Private Ramsey, open your locker. And, and I'm going, oh, my, like, everything's passing through me because uh, that year in Time Magazine, there was a cover of a guy holding a joint. And in Texas, they gave a guy 20 years for one joint. Wow. Uh, possession. It was really bad in Texas. And I'm thinking, shit, I'm going to jail for life. So the, the company commander, you know, I stand there, I unlock the thing, and I slam the door open, and he looks, and on the inside of my locker, I have pictures of, like, Greg Lore and uh, different surfers, surfers that, you know, I cut out because I didn't page of the surfer magazine, and he goes, oh, you're a surfer, huh? And I go, yes, sir. And he goes, where are you from? I go, well, I'm from Huntington Beach, California, sir. And he goes, oh, really? He goes, I'm from Malibu. I've, I've never surfed down in Huntington, but I hear there's some great surf or something. We he have, small have this conversation, and he goes, slams the door, he goes, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> and like this, and me and my two buddies look at yes. oh my God. Surfing saved out, your we, life? Surfing saved my life. Yeah. I swear to God in the Bible. Hey, man. me too. I, I mean, many, many a times, like I say, surfing <laughs> saved, saved me. Surfing Don, that is me. incredible. Yeah. As yeah. soon as you said you were a Man. surfer, his eyes lit up. Yeah, he, 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 he says, this we guy's awesome. something in common, yes. This guy's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's one of me. So where was, one of our where kind. was the bag? It was it was in my laundry bag in the in the bottom of my of the locker uh, of the of the locker. The bottom of the, of the pictures stink worse yes. than the skink. Yeah, you open that door and those pictures are right did, there, and that's all we talked about. How did the whole barrack or whatever? Didn't all my sound. friends, everybody, like when it was all over, we were all like high five and then just choked. I was giving it to them and yeah. stuff. Yeah. How is it? You how do you not? How did they not smell? Like what is it wrapped I up in? I, I don't remember. I know that I had wrapped it up in a few 
bags and yeah. stuff like that. And, you know, I had my laundry around it, so he he didn't smell it. It's I mean, so it's good. not, dude. This is 19. It wasn't all it bugs. Was there, there, yeah. just regular commercial weed. But yeah. it doesn't matter. You, I could have gotten. I could have went to well, jail three for and 30 half years versus one joint. Yeah, I could have went for a long time, and I did it. One joint is 20 lucky. years. Thank you, God. I'm so lucky. I'm surprised he doesn't wear a medallion across your chest like I'm a surfer. <laughs> <laughs> this is me. <laughs> I remember right when I, I came home, told all my friends that story, and just I kind of I told that story for a long time because oh, it was like incredible. So that's I mean that, that's stuff that just burns into your your memory, and I mean that change that could have changed the course. Like that's yeah, a, that that's a pivot. Everything. That's, a, that's could, a you're coming up to a Y, and it could either go. Yeah. So <sighs> I hate to like yeah talk about drugs and stuff, but it's, yeah, it's a really it, interesting. It, it is what it is. I it's mean, part of your life. It's part of my life. So, Backtrack. Mm -hmm. How? When was the? What drug was it that you first did? And how old were you? Well, it was marijuana. But then, by the time I so was so, it is 16, a gateway drug. Oh yeah, now, gateways. It is a gift for me. It's a gateway drug. I haven't smoked booze. pot in twenty-one years. So, yeah, I. You know, and I. You were, I and it was with that guy. Um, you were fifteen. Yeah. 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 Well, actually, I had smoked it for two weeks and finally got loaded on it um, after I smoked it for two weeks when I was with. Um, um, uh, my buddy who was playing guitars with this other guy, and um, and whatever happened, I came on and I went, whoa, and and, and that that's you know, what it's supposed to do. Yeah, and uh, anyway, so I don't know. It's ironic that it happened right where that happened when I was fifteen. I was in Gary Goodwin's place, and um, and so you know, I'll talk a little bit about. So after after I get out of the army. Um, so in 19, and I sent you a picture of me holding that um, Bruce Jones surfboard with the Surfer magazine. Yeah. Okay, that is, the, the significance of that is, um, and I'll tell you a story about why that picture is significant. In, in January of 1973, Surfer magazine comes out with this issue, Discovery on the Way Home from Central America. And it's about surfers from Huntington Beach. Um, who are surfing down in Central America, and on their way home from Central America, they find Petacalco. And Petacalco is this, it's like the um, uh, Mexican pipeline. It was, it's this perfect freaking way, breaks just like pipeline, close to the shore, kind of on a, a, a rock reef, and um, it's just a perfect wave. And they have this whole, it's Eric Penny, uh, Craig Naughton, and one other guy. And they, and it's, uh, I still have, I have, every time I find the issue, I buy it. I probably got four issues of it. And so I'm in, I'm in, um, I'm in Korea and my brother sends me that issue in the mail. And I, I look at the issue and I go, dude, I'm, I want to go to Petacalco. I'm seeing this great spot. And, and so then I go and end up in Arizona and, um, and, and when I'm done, I, uh, you know, I leave the army post and the whole few months I'm left before I get out, I save my money because me and my brother are going to go to San Blas. I'm going to surf there and we're going to go to Pet Pet No, <laughs> no he, he saves uh, some money. He's flying. No, my time. brother had a 66 11 window micro bus and we converted it into a little camper and we took that down to San Blas. So I get out of the army in February of 74 and we work on his Discharged bus. out? Yeah, I'm out. And, um, and, and, and how, how relieved were you? Oh, I, I was, I'll tell you when I left, 
So I lived in these tall barracks, about five stories up, these place called the New Barracks at Fort Huachuca. And I take my bed a sheet, and on my bed sheet with blue spray paint, I write FTA, which is an acronym for Fuck the Army. Fuck the Army, and then I put on it, lifers suck. And I take that, and I hang it out my window and close the window, and it's draped down my window. And I sign out, and we leave. Because they wanted, they, their whole goal is to get you to yeah, sign they, in. They, oh, yeah, they yeah, want they you want to re-up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, they offer you all kinds of incentives, but I was out of there. And um, like, I got this... And I'm looking in the in the rearview mirror, or look back, and we're like, you know, coming close to a mile out of the army post, and I see the barracks, and all I can see is that sign hanging up my window, <laughs> and uh, you know that wasn't a real proud thing to do, but back then I was just bummed at what the military was, and just different things about all the stealing that was going on, and just, I mean, I found out some some stuff that, that I know I'm sure it's not like that now because of computers and just the way things are in today's world. Yeah. But back then there was a lot of stuff. Wild, wild West, on. man. Yeah. What it, was what was your like pay like, you know, you you obviously didn't have living expenses. Oh, I was I was an E4. That that's a pay grade. I was an E4 when I got out, which is a specialist, and I think I was making $310 a month or maybe $410 a month. And you were able to stock away some money, like during yeah, the, you know? oh yeah, because I didn't have no rent and I was eating in the in the, the uh, cafeteria. Yeah, so I'd save my money. Besides, so, besides your you know one hundred and fifty dollar you know three and a half pound you know purchase. <laughs> yeah, well that was that was way just, that it, was way later. Yeah, but um, so I we saved up money and my brother had this killer VW bus and we drove that bus from Huntington Beach. We went down to Mazalon, we hung out at Cannons, and then we went to San Blas, and we stayed in San Blas, rented a house on the beach, and God, it was bitching, and I grew my hair out, because I wanted to, I had to get out of Huntington Beach, because I, you know, I was a, you know, a marked man, so to speak, but I, I wanted to go down, eventually end up in Petacalco, which... I need to I, get my sunbleach tips back. Yeah, I, you know, I had <laughs> cool hair and all that, and in fact... Uh, I think I have a, I have to send you a picture of me when I uh, just write that age. So I meet this girl. So there's this really good server, surfer. You, so you know Dick Catree Surfboards. And one of his best friends is this kid named David Belzerac, or DB. In fact, he used to sell surfboards in Florida, in Cocoa Beach. And while I'm in San Blas, I meet his girlfriend. She's this hot surfer, nice-looking chick. And... Uh, she, she surfed Modichin Bay backside, and I just, you know, thought she was something else. And we, you know, kind of had a little affair, and she hangs out with me. I meet the Mexican champion, this guy, Lalo, who a couple years before I went there, um, uh, who was it? Jerry Lopez and um, Roy Russell both said Lalo was the best surfer in the world, and he was the Mexican champion at the time, but never had any money or backing to get him on the world tour or anything like that, which didn't never ended up in Huntington Beach at the world at the U.S. Surf Championships or anything like that. But Lala was a great surfer. And um, so I would hang out with him too and this chick. And I didn't wasn't really drinking back then as like I ended up drinking. But uh, God, I loved surfing there and I was in great shape. I finally had to leave because my nose had gotten... No, no, people didn't used to wear sunscreen. Yeah. That was like no one ever did. And my nose had been sunburnt and peeled so much. I finally had to leave because I was like... it was. Uh, yeah, up. and there's no nothing. No one had anything to put on their faces. Right? No, no, zinc only, wasn't even a thing yet, right? I don't, I don't, I, I can't believe that it was. Re, remember, it it might have been, but we didn't. No one used it. What we did down there is mosquito repellent because the no <laughs> Yeah, they were freaking radical. 
Yeah, my brother and me served stoners one time. Uh, we and stoners is you know uh, an unreal surf spot just um, north of Montechin Bay, and you got to go through the jungle to get there. Me and my brother are, get there in his VW bus, and the mosquitoes are like oh. insane. There's there's thousands of them. And we get through there, and it's pumping. It's like six to eight feet. There's no one out. And we grab our boards, and we we run through the jungle, and the mosquitoes chase you out to the frickin' water. It's that bad. I'm not even exaggerating. And we, oh, yeah, and we surfed a stoner. You never got malaria. I don't know about that, but the bites were insane. I yeah. mean, you would always have a mosquito bite. It was just the way yeah. that you had. Yeah. Oh. And we had mash up over all the windows. You always kept the doors closed. I mean, the mosquitoes were like the worst thing there. We lived across the street from the Mescalito, which is a really well-known bar at that time. But, How uh, fun. I yeah, mean, you it know, was like a the spirit of adventure. Uh, right so there. I, I, mean, I, I, want, I want to tell you something. So I bring the girl back with me. Her name is, her name is Sharon Yakamo. So you took her from a dude. Yeah. Well, uh, DB didn't go to San Blas. He didn't want to go. They were scheduled to go and never went. She ended up hooking up with me. And um, <laughs> she asked me one time, do something funny. And I pulled my pants down and flashed her with my ass. And she goes, I love that. <laughs> but anyway. The little I, things. Yeah. Is that how you get yeah. a girl? Yeah. yeah. I brought her back to Huntington Beach. And I still remember this. We're driving down Coast Highway, like coming from Newport Beach. And she's looking at Huntington Beach, and she goes, wow, I never knew how ugly Huntington Beach was. Because if you remember, there was no green lawn. It was all dirt and, yeah. and, and, and oil pumps. Yeah. I mean, Gordy Surfboards was like one of the only things on, on past... Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. North of, of maybe where the Texaco gas station was on 7th and PCH. But after that, it was, I mean, there was a few houses. Yeah. But it was all oil, and, and, and it was ugly. It, yeah, it, it just was. was. Yeah. And uh, she, I remember her statement. She goes, well, I never really knew Huntington Beach was so ugly. And I never really she's thought about it. Yeah, she's from Cocoa Beach. And anyway, she stayed here for a couple months, and she left. I, I never saw or talked to her again. I tried to look her up on social media just to reach out and say hello to her, yeah. but I, don't, I never knew what happened to her. Anyway, um, so I'm living back in, in, in Huntington Beach, and I'm surfing, and I'm loving surfing. And uh, God, uh, so um, I, w I went to high school with Bobby Syrak, RC Surfboards, and, uh, you know, here in Huntington Beach. And uh, I used to ride, get his boards, and uh, Gordy, and all those guys. I met uh, Robert Coogan was a good friend uh, who surfed for Gordy. And, and um, so were you sponsored by Gordy? No. No, I just I just knew all those guys, yeah. and I would. These guys weren't really getting them. sponsored back then, right? Well, maybe they and were. Like Randy handful. Lewis was, and and there was some other surf. You know, like some of the main surfers around here was a guy named Leroy Dentis. Leroy Dennis. Yeah, I've and uh, and you know there was there was other guys, but like you know downtown was a scene, and I, and I already was a scene. You know, I mean, uh, I talked to Fig about this often about how. Chuck Dent used to be, you know, he was an icon and all that stuff, but the guy was a scene. He was just kind of an a-hole. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, I remember going to a party. This is while I'm at Marina High School, and I'm probably 16 or 17, and Chuck Dent is dating my brother or my buddy, Mark Koch, his sister. And they have this, their parents go out of town, they have this party, pool party in the back of the house, and Chuck Dent is in the backyard just drunk or yelling. He's grabbing 
people with their young people like us with our clothes on, picking us by the t-shirt and seat of our pants and hoisting us in the water and laughing, thinking it's all funny. Big but it's, it's just a scene, you know. Yeah. That's, but, that's why that was like the clubhouse of like child abuse. <laughs> yeah. Like when we were kids, <laughs> you know, you go there and it was like, this is how, yeah. yeah, this is how it was. So yeah. when you got out of the army and you're, you know, I'm getting back into surfing, you're going to do this Mexico. Yeah. What board? And I mean, could you afford to go? Like, did you get a brew? You know, like to so go get a. I I took um I took a couple boards with me um down to San Blas. Because that's what um, I would have done. I'm like, I'm going on a surf trip. I'm going to. Oh yeah, 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 well, yeah. We took boards four boards, and we took plenty of supplies in case they broke Dinger or dinged or whatever. And uh, actually, that happened. My brother broke his tail off and. And I remember fixing, I put a couple, I bought a couple pencils and made dowels with the pencils and then re-glassed it, put it back on it, shaped it, put it, sanded it. Even, I think I spray painted it or something, put wax over it, gave it back and goes, oh my God, that's unreal. It still works. Um, but I'm, I'm going to tell you a good story. So, um, and this is kind of around the time, right when I fall into the tire business in 1976, um, my grandparents who are from um, Oaxaca tell us that, that we're going to have a, 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 a family a reunion down in Mexico down in Acapulco so me and my brother well that's that's great we'll go down there who's Spanish in your my dad your my dad, dad was a bullfighter uh, in, uh, in uh, you know in, in his late teens and early 20s and uh, <laughs> yeah. we used to go to Tijuana a lot. Yeah, you got to be crazy you when you're young. Yeah, not, oh, yeah. yeah, you're not a bullfighter in thirty. He, oh, yeah. he was the engineer, right? <laughs> yeah, he was an aeronautical engineer for Douglas Aircraft. Uh, like I said, he helped build the Saturn V rocket fuel cell that took the guys to the moon. Anyway, um, so uh, we have this family thing planned, and me and my brother go, dude, we're going to go down there. We take boards and all that. So we fly down there with my aunt and uncle, and uh, it's just me and my brother Mike. And I think my grandparents, and we're all on the plane, and we get down there. And my brother and me rent a, and, and, and I got this 8 um, uh Bruce Jones with me. That, that, that yellow board that's in that picture. And, um, and, and so that's the reason why I got the board. And I've got that magazine, Discovery on the Way from Central America, because I finally took that board in 1976 and surfed Petacalco. So uh, we get down to... Uh, Acapulco, we actually meet these two chicks from Texas. Yeah, you did. And, um, yeah, you. and we're kind of hanging out with those babes. And then we leave for a couple of days. And my brother and I drive up to Petacalco. And we're surfing Petacalco. And I'm getting some killer waves. And I go, I get sucked over. And it snaps the back of that tail. And it ruins the board. And now I got, I'm surfing this other board. But it's not gunny like that board. And I couldn't really catch waves like I was catching them and and so we bring the board back with us and we we had it in storage for a while but to be honest with you I didn't see that board for 40 years and wow. in night and uh in four years ago I turned 65 I'm 69 right now and four years ago I turned 65 and my brother Mike pulls up to my, or Eric's dad pulls up to my house in his car and says, "Hey, I got something in my car for you." No. And I go and it's that board, You're and he's got it. Me. No, he gives me the board. I go, "Oh my God, that's the Petacalco board," and I hadn't seen it and since he had nineteen. It in storage? Yeah, he had it in storage and had it up in Santa Barbara where he's lived the last twenty-five <laughs> years. Had no idea, and he gave me the board, and that's why I took that picture yeah. because to be, and I, I have it hanging in my hallway. 
because that board so means a lot unreal. to me. Bruce, what a Jericho, yeah, Jericho what a made the um, emblem, the the Bruce Jones. Bruce shaped it for us. I mean, it, it was you know, it was it's a piece of my surfing yeah. history. And when my brother gave that back to me when I was sixty five, I, I literally cried. I was so happy to have that board. You and know? you got killer waves at that place. Yeah, Petacalco was a great spot. It's not great like it used to be, although I hear it's getting better. But you Where ask anybody who's surfing mainland a long time. Mex oh yeah, it's on mainland Mexico, just out of a town called um, Laguna Coronet. Um, Cardinal Lorenz, or I, I have to ask my brother, I can't yeah. remember the exact name, How but cool. Peta was an insane spot, and anybody who surfed there was lucky to, to say that they surfed there. I follow this group on Facebook, it's all they talk about is, it's it's called Bahia de Pedicalco, it's all about Pedicalco. That's rad. Yeah. So, when you got out of the army, you went on a surf trip, Yeah. what... What were your aspirations coming out of the Army? What did you want to do for work? Well, I was going to go back to school, and I thought maybe I'd get back into the dental field like, like I was making that stuff. And, um, and of course, surf. And I was still, you know, I was growing weed in my back. Uh, so, 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 so we get lucky enough to live in this house right on the runway at Middle Ark Airport. I'm on Roosevelt Drive. The planes are landing from here to that white truck across the street. Literally right in front of my house is the runway. And I have this killer pad, and you know, it's like the hottest, coolest spot around where we have these insane parties. Some of the great musicians used to hang out there. And uh, but I have this big greenhouse in the back, probably about as big as this whole room, and in there I'm growing weed. And um, and somebody calls the tells the neighbors call the police. On you for the yeah, weed? Yeah, yeah. And I come out of my house Stitches. one day, and um, there's like this. A Chevy van out there and like four or five fully dressed dudes not in a suit But fully dressed dudes kind of watching the planes and I look out there and I go. Hey, what's up? And they go ah, We're just checking out the planes. You got the time and I go no, I, I don't I don't know and they go, okay So then in my mind I go, oh shoot those guys are cops So I run in my backyard and my buddy Paul is in my backyard. And I go Paul I think the cops are here and um, and all of a sudden I look through my neighbors, I can see their, their uh, living room window uh, out the back of my garage, and I see those guys going through their house, and I go, uh-oh, we're getting busted. All of a sudden, cops are jumping over the fence, and I get arrested for cultivation, and this is like in 75 or 76, and I get arrested for it and get in a lot of trouble, and when I go see the judge, uh, he finds out that I'm a vet and says, you know, we normally we would put you in prison for this, but... Um, oh, it's medicinal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, not back then. But um, uh, they gave me what they call drug diversion. I ended up going to like 10 AA meetings and had to do formal probation for about three or four months. But um, that house was notorious for a lot of things. I kept all my surfboards there. And uh, you were playing music? You guys have some Yeah, yeah, like I was ragers. playing music then. We had, uh, we had the best parties, epic parties. I a lot still of sunshine see, rolling around. At yeah, night. oh, yeah. I still see some of the old locals that I know from here who remember those parties. Yeah. Like uh, sometimes uh, when our band will play, I'll say, hey, you remember the airport? And they go, oh, my God. And, uh, <laughs> How cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you know uh, Sandy Lavoie. Her husband is rich who works at Aloha Grill. They're so. known downtown people. But yeah. Sandy's old husband was Robert uh, Coogan. And, um, and Robert died in a tragic accident. But... Um, 
she was one of those people and I saw her, our, we, we did this event down in Huntington Harbor called Stony Fest and um, our band played and I put like 40 buses, this is back in September. And um, I remember seeing her there and we're talking, oh yeah, those are the best parties. It was, it was historic because they could go, not, no one was, I mean, you know, if the planes are landing while you're partying, you know, yeah. there's, we had loud music, the house was shaking. Only like, certain, only not a neighbors behind because it opened Yeah, up, well, so all those people were invited. Everybody, yeah. you know, was like, you know, smoking weed and, yeah. you know, partying. Dude, think so about that. You're, you're like raging, partying, <laughs> yeah. and planes are, are, are landing in yeah. front of you. You're just like, dude, this is yeah. a spot. Oh, yeah. It was, <laughs> I was very lucky to live there. And I lived there till like 1978. And then uh, while we were there, um, a good friend, a guy named Greg Gillen, um, who lives with um, Ryan Rustin, the, the guy yeah. that has, you know, the, the, dog. the, the, the sugar, sugar dog. Yeah, sugar. sugar. His roommate is Greg Gillen. This guy, Greg, also married uh, Robert Syrak's twin sister, Kel Syrak, you know, RC surfboards. Anyway, uh, and Greg was also a medic in the Army during the Vietnam War. And we had this special bond with each other. And he told me, I, that's my grandson, I'll call oh. him back. Um, he, he, he had this list of tire sizes that were, that with this company in um, uh, Chino, a Goodyear retread plant would buy these tires. And all over, all the gas stations around, they junked their tires, they put them in the back and someone would take, take them a dump. So he, he, gave, he gave me this list and my brother and showed us how to uh, look at the tires, and if they were good enough, they were worth from anywhere for three to five dollars. So we, in our backyard, where we lived at the airport, we started st stacking the uh, recycling. Yeah, well, kind of just storing them till we had enough to get like a hundred or two hundred. We put them on a flatbed U-Haul, and we'd take them out to Chino to sell them. They'd buy them, and two weeks later, I'd get a check for like five hundred bucks or eight hundred bucks. You know, and that was a lot of money back so in the day. So the guy RC, RC's brother-in-law. Turn us on to that. What were you? And, uh, what were you doing before? What, what? Just selling weed, and you know, uh, getting uh, I was uh, army tech still. No. Yeah, I was getting unemployment. I well, no, I was getting unemployment back then. I think I was just selling weed, and I had a couple uh, jobs working uh, for like I was a drove this lady around in a car. She was paralyzed in an arm, and I had uh, I, don't, I forget. You're the just other doing ones. odd jobs. Yeah, just just odd. I worked for the guy next door. This guy named. Uh, Jan Law was a very trippy guy, but um, he had, he farmed his own yard there and had horses, and I I was kind of like his gardener and helping him with all his stuff. Yeah. And he paid me pretty good. Anyway, um, so, so tire recycling. yeah, so the tires started started happening, and while uh, we were taking the tires there, a neighbor down the street who was a mechanic at a trucking company in Montebello called East Texas Motor Freight came said, hey, we, w the guy who picks up our junk truck tires doesn't pick them up anymore. Would you like to come and pick them up? And so we go out there and we take like six or eight of the good ones that we see in their junk and we take them back to Chino Goodyear and ask the guy, Jake, the plant manager, hey, did you guys ever buy these? And he says, no, but I can turn you on a company that does. And it was a center pivot irrigation company called Lindsay Manufacturing, Lindsay, Nebraska. They make, uh, so when you fly over the Midwest or anywhere, most uh, irrigation fields are in big circles. That's because the groundwater is used to irrigate it. So what they do is they drill a well. The pressure of the water coming up out of the ground is, was, was, was engineered to rotate this large sprinkler. Yeah. And, and that's how they grow the things. 
And that pipe that holds the water that sprinkles out, there's 18 truck tires on that sprinkler. And, um, and the Jake says, well, I can't use them, but I can turn you on a company that does. And that was this company. So Because they didn't need something like what grid tread because it's in the dirt. Right. Stuff. No, it's so the way they do it, they buff it all down. They put this big tractor lug on it and they foam inject it and put this rim on it. But uh, they, the company that we called had just signed a contract with the Saudi government for 20,000 sprinkler systems. They were going to irrigate a portion of the Saudi desert. And we happened to call them at the right time. And they go, well, how many can you get? And we said, well, how many do you need? And the lady goes, well, we'll send you a PO for 10000 of them at $15 a piece. Oh. And, uh, so hold, hold on a second. How long were you doing it for? Uh, before that? Yeah. How long uh, were you doing in that? the tire business. Yeah. Well, I'm still in the tire business. I know, but... No, no, no. When did you... You started... You started picking yeah. it up, making the... Yeah, the it was probably out. a couple years later. A couple okay. years, okay. So you were you grinding it out, you were grinding it out with small little business. Right? Yes. Yeah. But you were, and, and you were making connections. It was... Yeah, and this, this kind of... I mean, we stopped doing car tires right after that. And so, it, as it turned out, we're East Texas Motor Freight in Montebello. The whole area is zoned for trucking. So, Hunt... Consolidated Freight, um, Yellow Freight, ETMF, all these giant trucking companies right there, and they all run in the same size tire. Yeah. So we go to you all those companies. You found the tire bank. Yeah, and they <laughs> said, yeah, you can start picking up our junk, and that's kind of how the whole tire business started. And then we learned different uh, ways to use the tires, different companies and all that, but it all spurred from that one opportunity. Damn. Um, yeah, and we still have the... I still have Ecology Tire today. I bought my brother out about 20 years ago, and uh, he moved up to the ranch. His wife died. Eric's mom passed away. and uh, But, you know, the tire business is slow right now. I've just lost one of my big accounts, but uh, they're, they're coming back after February, so I'm just kind of working different angles to keep the my side of the business going and yeah. still still doing it. So, I'm in the band and doing all that. So, wait, surfing. going back to yeah. the Saudi Arabia deal. Yeah. When you said ten thousand here, and you're getting fifteen bucks, and you're buying them for three to five bucks. I'm getting them for free. You're getting them for free. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. So so he's doing a this. service. Yeah. So 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 we we get all these accounts, and they have other same portions of their com- company out in Riverside and San Bernardino, and then we find out all these other places. Well, there's other companies there, so we get all these accounts. So at, at, at the height of our career, which is probably in the early 90s, we're doing about anywhere from 3 to $5 million a year in uh, Recycling in tires. tires. Yeah, in recycling tires. See, I still have LA Unified School work. District. That's one of my accounts. I pick up all their junk for 35 years, and I resell all their stuff to Mexico. So you went from getting out of the Army. To maybe being almost, a dentist or in Almost going field. to jail. Yeah. Almost go to jail (laughs) to a neighbor or or, no, no, a brother in law of Rick Syok. Yeah, turned you on to Bob Bobby Syrak, RC Surfboards. He's the first guy that used to do the surf reports on KLOS. Hi, this is RC from Huntington Beach. Yeah, before Rock and Fig, RC did it. Going back, so how did you get into this tire thing? Like, what made you guys get into the tire? Is it you and your brother? Yeah, and uh, so this guy Greg, who was Bobby Syrak's brother in law. Uh, Bobby Cyrax, I mean, there's a whole other story, but Bobby Cyrax's mom's boyfriend was this guy named, um, uh, God, uh, Bill, uh, something. Yeah, he had, <laughs> so he was in this tire recycling 
group called the Dirty 30. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, from 1963 to 1973, they smuggled millions of dollars of high-grade heroin from Vietnam into Akron, Ohio via Goodyear Tire by putting, you know, the big earth mover tires at one of the big earth movers, uh, his name is Bob Bills. And, um, and so big earth mover tires, they would take a tire that had still good rubber on it, they would drill a hole on the inside, inject it with air, and it'd make this big bubble outside on the shoulder, which meant it was an adjustment where you, had, you could send it back to Goodyear and they would give you a credit on the amount of tread that was left on tire because it was a manufactured default that it had separated, which was all fraud because they were doing that. And then they'd pack a hole, you couldn't see it. But inside that bubble, they would fill it with heroin. And then they'd ship the tire. So there was people in the military that knew about it and people that would receive it in Akron, Ohio. And then guys that worked it at the Akron Goodyear plant, take the tire, take the heroin out of it. And then they'd still, the government would still get their adjustment back so that the whole thing was legitimate so they could do it time and time again. They did it for 10 years and never got caught. And that's Holy a true story. What smoke. the front? Yeah. So wait. Okay. <laughs> I, I love this. How does this how does that tie in with you though? Like it it it, it doesn't. I mean, it's just something that uh, well. So 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 that Greg idea. Greg is a guy who showed us about that. But I'm just trying to tell you who Bob Bills was. He was yeah. this really smart guy, very extremely wealthy, and he made his wealth off of smuggling heroin in the United States. There's a movie by. Um, uh, Wait, so kind of about it, but it's so it was different. it was in in the East Orient that yeah in they, Vietnam in Vietnam yeah it was it during the Vietnam War yeah it was too? during the Vietnam War wow. yeah because the guy we were making all that you know they're, yeah they're we were making servicing. landing fields and posts and places where we had how the hell did this guy figure out I I, I don't know how all that went down it was just it's it, it's the adjust it's in adjustment business and the arm in the, in the tire business. When, when you buy a tire, there's a guarantee on the tire. It's not going to go bad, but sometimes tires separate and yeah. then yeah. you get to bring it in. How much tread depth is left on it? There's a tire warranty and you get a credit back for that. Um, yeah. So this guy was 30, 35, 50,000. Yeah. Smuggling. Well, the government would get the credit. Yeah. Which made the whole process. Okay, well, let's do it again. The tire goes back. We'll send it back. They're, 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 they they're good was... with their, a warranty so, so program, the but the whole thing was a scam to smuggle heroin to the United States. And like I said, they did it for a long time. All those guys are dead now. They're dirty what? Dirty, dirty 30. They, they were called the Dirty 30. It was about 30 guys that ran that operation. Wow. So oh, yeah. True story. My, so, um, sorry to sidetrack, but yeah. my, my, um, my stepmom, her family was in the tire business, and her grandpa started recycling tires. So huh? doing the same thing. Oh, like, really? Yeah, they're Gordon tires off. Oh, of yeah, I know. Westminster. Yeah, I know yeah. Gordon tires. Yeah, really. That's but, a, that's but they, Amy's dad, and uh, they all they all started. Yeah, yeah well, doing they, the recycle. And I yes. remember the going out to Corona. Yeah, you would buy them and you would get a few dollars, and yeah. then they, they started. Anyways, yeah. it's just a small. Yeah, world. yeah, we were the biggest recycler for west of the Mississippi for a long time. Yeah, we were. We got pretty big. Yeah, Gordon. That's kind Gordy. of crazy. So that that dirty <laughs> thirty, yeah, kind of sparked an idea for that guy to give to you, right? Yeah. Well, he turned us on. He would, and and so the the relationship that Greg and I had was I was a medic in the army during the Vietnam War. 
he was a medic in the Army during the Vietnam War. He was like three, three and a half, four years older than me. And, uh, and he's the one who always encouraged me, Don, it's going to be okay. You're going to get out. You're going to do okay. Because we, we stayed in contact. When mm -hmm. I came to town on leave, I would call Greg and talk to him and, and stuff like that. And after we got out, he had fallen into this way to make money. And he turned us onto it because, you know, he liked me because we had this common bond. We were yeah. like, you know what I mean? We had both done the same thing. Yeah, that's it. People hear that. It's relationships and, yeah. and being yeah. cool to people. And, yeah. and we always, you know. That's crazy. Yeah. Say it. So, it so you had been doing it for a couple of years. Sorry yeah. to yeah. iterate it, but it's so fascinating because somebody somebody knew that Saudi Arabia was going to yeah. Yeah, the, the implement the companies, they got, they got the PO for 20,000 systems. They took the PO, didn't have the tires, and by, just by chance, we contacted them through the Chino Goodyear guy, gave us the phone number, and that's when they told us, well, we'll give you $10,000, or we'll, we'll give you a PO for 10,000 of them at $15 a beach, you're talking $150,000. So me and my brother are down in Sunset Beach, on the beach, and it's pouring rain. It's freaking coming down hard. And we're looking at each other. I think we got like a raincoat over the top of us. And we're looking at the surf. And we're looking at each other. And go, man, we're gonna be rich, huh? And we're like, oh my god! And it's just you two. Yeah, it's us and but, and, but, and, but and, and tires. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, but he, it's us. You guys were and, already accumulating. Oh yeah. Two, uh, yeah. Two tire banks. Oh I yeah. Mean, oh yeah. Finding... We were already. And so where I end up, where I'm still now, and I've been in the spot I am right now for. 45 years um my brother worked for a company off the of lakes and uh and manson it was your town used to be called manson and my brother worked right there on the corner in this old tin building called true run and the guy made uh custom machine parts and sometimes he needed help and so the guy next door to us now um Mike would go to that guy named Ira Greer, who invented the first steam-driven lathe, who was a totally an unreal person. Um, and uh, Greer Plumbing. Uh, Greer, Greer Machinery. Greer, Greer Machinery. Yeah, and uh, his grandsons now run that business. Yeah. But um, And so Mike knew that the lot next door would, would be a chance, and he went and talked to Ira and said, hey, we'd like to rent part of this and start doing our tire business here. And this is before, I mean... Gothard was a dirt road then. And Next uh, to Mushroom he, Farm? Oh, yeah. Well, Mushroom Farm is down around the corner, but um, uh, Gothard, where, where we are, was called Crystal Street. And, um, and anyway, we started, started the tire business there. So been there can since. I go back again? Yeah. So you and your brother start picking up tires in oh, Chino, yeah. and you were Yeah, we buy trucks and all that, yeah. We, and you had to buy trucks, right? Oh, yeah, we went out. And, and then you, you Little formed, by little, we ended up having like nine trucks to the top. You of formed them. a business. Yeah, Ecology Tire. So did, did you, were you already kind of lucrative before the Saudi Arabia thing, or was the Saudi Arabia thing? No, no, it was just enough to keep us both alive, you know? Yeah. I mean, we were just, we weren't, I wasn't, I mean, making hand over fist, but it was enough money to pay the rent and keep on and play guitar and had like I was always dating a few chicks back then. <laughs> uh, um, surf. Yeah. Play the guitar. Yeah. And live in the surf the life. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was a I was lucky to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. So so the Saudi Arabia thing, that you and your brother got the contract, you're sitting at Surfside in the rain thinking you're gonna be rich. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, it took it took a lot of work. I was bummed. It took a lot of my surfing away from me because <laughs> even when it was good, I had commitments to. Yeah, because we were sacrifice. making a lot of money. I had to sacrifice all that, and you know, and I bought my house. I still live in the same house I bought 40 years ago. It's a beautiful home right off. I can see Catalina from my driveway at the Balsa Chica Reserve, and uh, very lucky to live where I live. Yeah, blessed. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, not to uh, you know. Yeah. Dive too deep in your run-ins with the law, but yeah, did, did, was that the only run-in you had, or did you? No, have no. More? So okay, so <laughs> so I continue on with this life in the in the drug world while I'm living life in the past land. Yeah, while yeah while I'm living in um um at the at the airport, I I meet this 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 friend of mine. I used to call him Uncle Manny. I, we're still friends now. He's a biker guy. And his best friend is this guy from Los Alamitos, a Canadian guy that he grew up with named Mark McFarland. And, um, and Mark is this drug dealer, you know, and we, we become friends immediately. You know, this guy's got good, 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 uh, good, stuff. good stuff. And, um, and we continue to be friends and I start helping him sell a little bit here and there. And um, some things happen. We're, uh, we're talking about Colombian gold, like really good pot from Colombia. And uh, then we started doing coke, like really good coke. And um, and uh, you know, and I'm cutting it with my neat and stuff, and making money, and it's like, you know, I'm doing good. Is this eighties? Yeah, this is this is while I'm doing the tire business. You know, I was still doing that. So I'm doing this with Mark, and Mark is now hooked up with another guy named Mark Ting, who's married to Pablo Escobar's niece. And so I I, I fall in love with this chick, and I in 1982. Uh, so l l let me back up. So Mark and I are good friends, and I'm driving this insane Porsche, and I'm living the life. Mark's driving a Porsche, and and um, and he goes Bye. buys this other Porsche, and it's his birthday. Like this is 1980. I think he's going to be like 26 or 27. And he rents the whole Villanova restaurant down in Newport Beach, and we go there in his Porsche. And um, he just bought it that day from Chick Iverson. And at night we're drunk and we're driving back. And we get in a car accident coming over the uh, bridge at Newport Beach. A car, a VW Bug comes in front of us. He goes to go around it. And back then, the bridge used to be separated. There was no center divider other than these large orange cereal bowls that were turned upside down. That's yeah. what they looked like. And so he goes over them to get around this car. And when he goes back in front, the car spins. He hits a, a piece of some sand on the east side of Coast Highway. And that catapults us in the air. And the car flips end over end. And we land in the Talbert Mart right side up, but it tolls the car. And Mark is ejected through the windshield and hits a chain link fence where there's an oil thing going up and down. And I'm unconscious, but I am smart enough to lock my seatbelt when I see he's doing 120 miles an hour down Coast Highway. Anyway, uh, so I live through that. And he has to have his knees redone, and he's smart and invents this machine. He sells the whole idea to Curb and Joe, and they give him two hundred fifty thousand dollars for this idea. It's a brilliant uh, Mark. Mark is Mark. Mark McFarland. But anyway, so uh, that's just so you one almost of the stories. died. Yeah, you almost killed me. I have pictures of the Porsche. Um, but um, holy smoke! Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's, that's so that happens in nineteen eighty. First and, day he got the car. He, we totaled it that night on his oh. birthday. On his birthday, and. Um, so anyway, uh, long, so just to kind of move on here, 
1982, I decided to stop dealing Coke. I don't, I don't want to do it no more. I'd still do it. I'll use it, but I won't sell it because I'm married. I want to start changing my life and become a better person, I'm thinking. So anyway, in that year, 1982, um, the Huntington Beach police pull over a, uh, a car on Coast Highway about 11 o'clock at night or something late at night on a weeknight, and it's got a broken taillight, and they, the police pull the guy over, and he's got a bag of weed on him. He's got no ID, there's no registration in the car, and the trunk is locked, and they, they're, they're, they're searching the car, they can't get in it, so they say, well, we're gonna confiscate the car, we're gonna arrest you, and, um, and, and they bring the car, actually two doors down from the tire yard to Mandic Motors, and they get the judge order to go inside the car, and they find 19 kilos of Coke, in the back of the car. And so the, the police are kind of, what, what the hell's going on? Well, then two weeks later, Mark's partner, a guy by the name of Mark Ting, who's T-I-N-G, he's married to Pablo Escobar's niece, and that's where they're getting all this large amounts of coke from, that's coming from. in from Florida. And, um, and Ting goes to Huntington Harbor Realty and purchases an open lot in Huntington Harbor for $450,000 and he pays them in cash in $100 bills in a suitcase. Stupid uh, thing, but it's true. It, so, um, so now, and so they take the money, sign the deal, and they call the police, and they tell the Huntington Beach police, hey, we just had this young, late 20s, early 30s uh, kid come in here and pay cash for a, a, a lot here in Huntington Beach. Something's up. So now the, the cops have these two things. They have the car full of Coke. The car full of Coke. And they have the um, a guy buying a lot for four hundred fifty thousand dollars, and they're both kind of relative in the same area. So they call the DEA and the FBI, and um, so Mark McFarland and Mark Ting are dealing out of a condo they rent at the end of Hile, right where Saybrook and Hile is. There's condos right there, and uh, that's where I met Pablo Escobar, and um, <laughs> and 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 so so and, so we're gonna talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're gonna talk, okay, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you the whole thing about that. So after Mark almost kills me in the car, uh, in the in the in the car accident, you know he kind of carried a guilt because he used to say, "Dude, I almost killed you and all this stuff." Yeah. And so apparently, buy me a Porsche. Yeah. No. He, he, <laughs> I already, already, already had a nice Porsche. <laughs> buy but, me another um, one. <laughs> uh, I, I get a call from him one day, and this is like in eighty eighty one, and he says, uh, "Don, come over. I got somebody I want you to meet." So I go to the condo right there at the end of Hile and. And Saybrook, where he's dealing, one room is—it's insane how much coke is in this room. But uh, I go upstairs to the room uh, where this bedroom is, and he has a couch in that room and a TV up against the wall. And there's a guy sitting in the in the couch. And Mark, I come up, and Mark goes, "Pablo, I, I want you to meet one of my good friends." And Pablo Escobar stands up like this, and he turns, and I walk around the couch, and I mean, I didn't know it was going to be Pablo Escobar. I know now that it was Pablo Escobar. Yeah. Did you and, hear? And, did you know about Pablo? No, Escobar? I didn't know anything about him. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I might have known that he was a big drug dealer from Colombia, but I didn't know anything yeah. more about that. And um, and he goes, "I want you to meet one of my good friends. This is Don Ramsey. I almost killed him in a car wreck one time." Tells him a brief story. God. Anyway, I meet him. I shake his hand. Nice to meet you. And that was kind of it. He sat down, and then Mark walked outside, and I think I had like 3500 bucks I had to give him or something. And then um, I got in my car, and, 
in the, and left. So that was my brief encounter with Pablo Escobar. Wow. In, uh, was there a lot of people or is it no. just mellow? Is it no one there. It was what just him and Mark uh, was there. So anyway, so, um, and I don't want to elaborate on that. It just yeah. happened. Yeah. Um, so this is how they used uh, to deal. But Pablo Escobar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Pablo Escobar. And yeah. this is, of course, while he was just getting his teeth cut in the cocaine smuggling industry. Um, if you've ever watched the narco thing on yeah. Netflix, it goes through the whole history of that. Yeah. Of course, he becomes this notorious, terrible human being yeah. who, like, I mean, I'm, I'm not yeah. boasting yeah, about meeting Pablo Escobar. It's oh. just part of my story. Yeah. Which, which yeah. you find really interesting. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Yeah, 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 not many people could... See yeah, that, but yeah. it is a part of your story, and you know you got yeah. you turned the corner. It is, that. and I'll, I'll be honest with you. My wife and family know all about it, and they've told me, Don, uh, you're so popular in Huntington Beach with all the stuff. You're, and, and it was gonna be a good idea. And so it's not like I'm saying, hey, look at me. This happened. This is part of it. Right. But it just, it's just one of those things. I look at it now. It's kind of like it's pretty heavy stuff, really. Um, if you know who Mark McFarlane is now and the life he is, the man he is today, he's turned his life around completely, and I can share that a little bit. I got to go in a little bit, but uh, yeah. could we do like a part two? Yeah. Could we? Yeah. Um, we but, we uh, can do a part two. Okay. Yeah. Of course we yeah, can. Yeah, could we? Because there's some other great things that have happened in my life, and yeah. um, I want to make sure that everybody knows that about me as well. Yeah, that's what we want to do. Yeah, man. we want to yeah. make sure you because yeah. your story is so interesting, and you got all these great stories. But you know, some of it's not as glorious as you know what you've done after and where yeah. you're at now. You know, yeah. so we want to cover. So it all. I, I do a lot of stuff with the city. Um, I'm very lucky to do all the events I get to do and help. I do raise money for like from Wounded Warrior Project to Operation Surf, Maui Ola, I mean, all these different groups, Huntington Beach, yeah. a junior lifeguard program. These are all things where I get to be part of something and yeah, really you, generate you, good revenue for that. You've given <clears throat> back to not just surfing, but to the community. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. And, and I'm here again, it, it just is what it is, but I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, like, I am seven, uh, 69 years old. I'll be 70. And for me to think, you know, at this age, like how my life has turned out in a positive way, like I'm in this hot band, you know, about we play some pretty big gigs and, um, you know, we're well known. We When we show up, every place we play is packed these days. Yeah, it's that's packed. so cool. That's insane. And it's insane. Um, but look, uh, I, you gotta I, go. Yeah, I, I do gotta yeah. go, but I there's more I want to tell you, so we'll, I'm just we'll gonna leave it, it at um, at uh, me uh, stopping dealing drugs in 1982, and then what happens to that drug ring, and then my life as it goes on with the tire yard, and how I start the VW Bus Club, which is unreal, yeah. and the Ramsey Brothers Band, and then I'm on the board of directors for the Surf Museum, the board of directors of the Huntington Beach Board Rider Club. I'm the event director for International Surfboard Builders Hall of Fame, and I'm one of the founders of California Surfing Day. And that's why yeah. we have you on the Late Night with Chucky podcast. Hey, man. Yes. Yeah. Um, surfing. Don Ramsey. Don. Pablo. Pablo. <laughs> yeah, Pablo yeah just say that when you go to Sugar Shack. They'll know exactly who you're talking yeah. about. Uh, we're going to cut it here. Uh, part one. Episode one. I Don. Can't, I Pablo can't wait for Ramsey. Part two. 
right. We, you got to go. Come Thank you soon. so much. All, All right. right. All right. right on. Peace. Yeah. Peace. WaveKey was created by Brad Gerlach to help improve your surfing. WaveKey is a land-based systematic surf training method. For all surfers, for all levels. Check out wavekey.com. That's W-A-V-E-K-I.com. Pada Sushi, a new sushi place here at the Albertsons in Newland Center. Your go-to spot for grab-and-go sushi, handmade, fresh daily. You can get all your favorites or get something custom. And make sure to stop by on Fridays for the $5 special. Pada Sushi. At Albertsons in the Newland Center off of Beach and Adams. Wax. The wax that's found under all of the best surfers on the planet. You mean late night? Always under my feet. And Chalky? How do you think I pull those big airs? And layback Lars. And those laybacks. Wait, whoa, 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 we're not doing the 90s again, are we? I don't do those anymore. Foo Wax, the best wax in the game. Foo Wax. Caliente Southwest Grill. Healthy Mexican food featuring local organic ingredients. They also have great salads, vegetarian and gluten-free options. Wow. Yep. Don't they also cater and make party packs? They do. They have all your needs for all your events. Nice. Visit calientesouthwest.com. Or go to the restaurant in Costa Mesa off of 17th Street. Caliente Southwest. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music. 